Hello, everyone. This is the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to this week in Bitcoin. Today is October the 9th, 2020. Strong hand, long term thinking. Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin. One Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. Be a unique beast. We have three unique beasts here. One day closer to an all-time high. I'm offended by selling. Five-digit realm. All righty, everyone. We are back live on a beautiful Friday morning in the United States. Brandon Quinton makes his debut today. John Vallis returns. Phil Geiger also returns. I am really pumped about this crew. They've got a lot to say. So it was funny. I was talking to these guys at the beginning of the week. And I, I, I was trying to come up with stories. I didn't have any stories yet. I, and I know, you know, there's always something to talk about in Bitcoin. And then comes the end of the week and bam, 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 square, Jack Dorsey. Oh my, the government speaks. All of a sudden we got news pouring out of the yin yangs of everybody. Oh my, we'll start with Phil here. Uh, so yeah, Jack Dorsey, square, they bought like close to 5,000 Bitcoin. I value my wealth in Bitcoin. I don't care how much that's worth in millions of dollars. It's like almost 5,000 more Bitcoin off the market. It's like MicroStrategy, but smaller, but a bigger name, uh, a bigger name in terms of a CEO's Dorsey. So what do you think about this, Phil? What was your take? Am I just going too crazy? Is this the start of something much bigger? No, I think this is a pretty reasonable first purchase for Square's dollar cost average strategy. So I imagine that they're going to be putting in kind of 50 million uh, dollars every uh, you know few months moving forward now, but it's pretty good first purchase. Um, it's exciting to see more companies jumping in. You know, when when MicroStrategy announced their big purchase, uh, I was telling people, you know, this isn't this isn't just a one-off thing. This is like the first of a series of companies that are now going to start allocating uh, to Bitcoin as part of their reserve assets. So exciting to see uh, Jack be that that second or I guess Square being that second company taking the step there. They've been a big supporter of Bitcoin with open source uh, contributions and Cash App being Bitcoin only. Uh, so it's great to have, I think, other companies uh, taking the leap and actually holding Bitcoin as a uh, part of their treasury. Now, this is, this is making mainstream uh, publications also, I notice. Uh, do you think he's pitching it to Twitter? Do you, because again, Twitter is separate from Square, uh, and so uh, do, do you think Twitter could do something like this? Absolutely, I think I think you know it, it's starting to make more and more sense for pretty much every company that is holding uh, cash right now. Right, cash is trash. Uh, it's a melting ice cube, according to uh, Giga Chad Sailor. Um, so if you're sitting on cash right now, you're you're wondering what the hell do I do with it? And the options are just so bad out there. Like, are you really going to put it into some stonks? Are you going to put it into gold? It's yellow rock. Um, no, if you want to preserve your, your company's wealth, Bitcoin, I think, is the clear choice. Um, so pretty much every company right now, especially public companies that are sitting on a lot of cash, are, are going to start investigating Bitcoin. And I think we'll see many, many more allocate to it. So yeah, Twitter. Um, you know, I don't know if they'll be the next company, but I imagine that they're having those conversations up at the, the CEO and executive letter uh, level. Now, I was just reminded by my elite friends in the chat that uh, you called him a Giga Chad, uh, the uh, Michael Saylor. 
I called him uh, Bitcoin Noah because he mentioned something about uh, Bitcoin being like Noah's Ark or something. I, I talked about it on yesterday's show. All right, people in the in the live chat, though, if you have questions, we have answers. I If you type in Bitcoin Meister, you do a super chat, we can answer your questions. Also, dudes watching this live, retweet the show. I just put it out there to spread the word, to get everybody here uh, to, to finally hear the glory of Brandon, who has never been on the show before. So now I am really looking forward to this, dude. Brandon, what is your take on this situation uh, on uh, Square? Yeah, for sure. And first off, Adam, thanks for having me on. Um, I love these guys. So happy to be here. A um, couple things with Jack. So first of all, it feels like the man is setting an example for the rest of the world. It feels like he's um, pretty much just legitimizing Bitcoin, de-risking Bitcoin in all these different categories, saying that, hey, if you take us seriously, um, you know, you can also take Bitcoin seriously. So I think that in general is just really powerful and it's going to be a slow moving thing. And I think Jack gets that. Um, the next thing I thought was interesting here is that Pierre was chirping at Jack ever since Sailor made the announcement, like why, why doesn't Square have Bitcoin on the balance sheet? And I have to think that Jack and the team responded to the criticism. I could be wrong here, but it sure feels like it. And so um, I just thought about this about five seconds ago, but instead of peer pressure, it's Pierre pressure. And Jack <laughs> folded. Pierre pressure, pound that like button, dudes. But wait a second. He, when did they actually make this purchase? Maybe he folded and finally like revealed that they did this. I mean, it, it had to have been done some time ago. I would think. Uh, I, I, I don't think it can. I mean, who knows? Who knows? Well, do you, you do you think this is who's next? Who's next, Brandon? Or do you think we're gonna we're, next week we're gonna hear about two like when um, when Michael Saylor made the announcement? Shortly after that, we we heard about small companies. But now that we have two pretty big companies out there, are we gonna start hearing this every week? Is this gonna be a weekly occurrence or, or monthly occurrence? I don't think we're there yet. I think I think Jack limping in here is a good sign, but they're already poised for it. They probably had very little hoops to go through. Um, there might have even been a corporate control where Jack can sign a, a paper for 50 million. I don't know. Um, I think it's going to be slower. And I, I think Michael Saylor's right that legitimate companies who want to pull this off are going to have a lag time just to get through the process. And so I think it's a great time, but I don't think we're going to see like every month now tier one orgs buying Bitcoin. I think maybe in the next year we'll see some more. Okay. Now, uh, let me see. Uh, there was one quote I wanted to read uh, that has to de I have so many things open here. Uh, Adoption should proceed from the ones that gain the least from the fiat system to the most savers, small businesses, corporations, cartels, vassal states ruling states uh I, I like that progression right there that was from uh, ben ben westgate now uh john what is your take on this and uh how how soon should uh we see uh when are we going to hear about the first uh, country uh, buying it, and it's probably already happened but we just haven't heard yet so uh john take it away yeah well on that point of it, it's probably already happened i mean who knows i think you know conventional wisdom is that the smaller, more agile countries that are, you know, where it's less big news, they have a little bit more flexibility with what they do with their, you know, central bank balance sheet, for example, you know, that um, that's conceivable that they do already, or in the next year or two, uh, they will have an allocation. But I think, you know, a lot has been made about the career de-risking of the sailors and the squares and those moves. And, and prior to that, um, Paul Tudor Jones, and I think that's legit. I mean, you've got especially in the case of Jones, you've got these massive kind of, um, 
you know, behemoths of the industry that have just to all those younger, you know, guys and gals doing that work. Now they can talk about it without getting laughed out of the room, which is huge. And I think that's happening in a corporate level now in corporate boardrooms and things like that. But it's also important to recognize that, you know, public companies are extremely, most often, they're extremely apprehensive about the news that they release because everything that they do, especially these days, is predicated around their stock price. You know, so they have to be very careful what they communicate to the public. And I think that now, I don't think Square moved too much, but I mean, even the fact that it didn't decline on the news. And then, of course, we know MicroStrategy, when they released the, the news of their two purchases, uh, had a big boost in their stock price. I think that signals to the market, one, like this is an acceptable thing for us to explore because it seems like shareholders um, and investors like this move. But two, I, th I think we'll see some companies that already have it on their balance sheet, maybe just did it as a, a, a private thing and maybe a small allocation. They may come out and say, you know, we did this over the last six months, over the last 12 months. Now that they know that the news is not going to punish them, you know, the news of doing it is not going to punish them. So I think over the next year, you know, like Sailor said, it, they fast tracked it and they sorted it out in three to six, you know, how to facilitate this on their balance sheet. I think that's probably what's going on now. And I think the macro landscape puts even more pressure on that. So I wouldn't be surprised, you know, 2021, if we see a lot of this sort of uh, activity, you know. Yeah, I, I got to ask a, a, a question. I, I don't like to talk about the price of Bitcoin, but it's clear once the, the news broke, uh, it, it pumped up uh, the, the price of Bitcoin. Uh, jo uh, John, I'll stick with you. Uh, uh, do, do you. Do you have any thoughts on that, on, on that uh, good news actually uh, pumped up the, the price of Bitcoin there? And, and I mean, this for me, again, I, I'm sticking with what I said back in, I guess, September now, uh, that the MicroStrategy news was the biggest news of the year, that it's just, uh, it, it, it's so huge that, that finally we have companies uh, making this announcement and uh, it should it should pump the price of Bitcoin. It should uh, get people excited about buying it. But, but what, what's your take on that, John? Yeah, I mean, news like that, I guess, always has a, a, a temporary boost on price. But if anything, I've been somewhat surprised at how subdued the price has been over the last 12 to 18 months um, with all of this seeming like a lot of tailwinds. Uh, around Bitcoin, and I'm not complaining about it because it's it's wonderful for those of us who are are stacking as you know aggressively as we can. But um, so I you know I don't make much of the price moves as we all know. You you can't really predict the price of Bitcoin. It does its own things. There's too many inputs to really you know nobody can predict what it's going to do. Um, but to, in my mind, all of this is you know almost already. I don't want to be too hubristic, but it's almost already written. You know, companies are going to start trickling in, it'll be a trickle and then it'll be a flood and the price will ultimately reflect that. What happens in the midterm with short term with the short sellers and you know what whales do and all this stuff. I mean it's it's too hard to predict. So I don't get excited about boosts off news even like micro strategies. I just for me it just ticks the box like okay, you know, big corporate public companies are coming in now. And what I think is really interesting about micro strategies move is it's amazing that the first one to set that price, like Square, let's say Square was the first one. Okay, they limp in with 50 million. It makes total sense. Jack has Bitcoin in his Twitter handle. Square is, is heavily involved in the industry. I mean, it's a no-brainer. It probably should have happened earlier. And they limp in, right? But instead of that being the first and everyone just kind of looking at that and saying, well, of course they would. You know, any other public company would just be like, well, that doesn't necessarily mean we should. They're in the Bitcoin business. They sell Bitcoin. It's a huge part of their business. So that doesn't mean much. But to have a company that's not at all in the industry and come in so heavily, I just think those two things make 
put so much pressure on everyone else now. Like, can we really limp in with 1% of our treasury? I mean, you think I got to just put 90% in? We're, we're looking a little weak over here, you know? Maybe we should put 10, maybe it should be 25. So I, I think that dynamic may, ex, you know, accelerate out of the gate how this process unfolds in terms of corporate buying because, you know, you've just, you got Giga Chat up there just saying like, you wussies, you know, what are you doing with your 1%? Dude, you just uh, read my mind. So pound that like button. We're going to talk about the 1% allocation right now. Wow, you really did. If you are a company and don't have more than 1% of your cash reserves in Bitcoin, are you failing to manage your treasury responsibly? Uh, that is a quote I got from Fiscantes. Uh, it's linked to below. Everything I talk about is linked to below, everybody. But also at the same time, uh, Roman Q had a question. In what percent of a company's treasury is a reasonable first purchase? Strong hands and conviction take time to develop. Companies might panic sell if first big buy, if first big is if first buy is too big. So, Phil, do, do you have any thoughts on that? The one per, is is there a one percent rule here, or what, what's your advice for uh, for uh, treasury uh, purchases? My advice for treasury purchases is any amount that isn't zero. <laughs> whatever Maybe. you're comfortable with like you know you got to get off zero guys uh it's 2020 now bitcoin's been around for over a decade uh it's not going anywhere in fact every day that it sticks around it's uh stronger so the longer you wait you know the i, I think there's a quote out there that's like everybody buys in at the price that they deserve um i think Ooh, i think I like companies that. uh you know have an opportunity right now to uh, allocate some part of their treasury into Bitcoin, um, whatever you're comfortable with, whatever you can get sign off for and uh, dip your toe in the water, see how it is. If you don't like it, convert it back to US dollars. I think people, uh, they, they look at Bitcoin and they're like, it, it, I think it seems like a black hole to them a lot of times where it's like, if you buy Bitcoin, you're stuck with Bitcoin forever. And you know, we all know in reality, it's one of the most liquid assets out there. You can convert it nearly instantly uh, into any other currency around the world um, faster than you can convert probably gold to any other currency, right? So get some Bitcoin, see how it feels to own it, uh, and then start allocating more. I think the dollar cost average strategy applies to the rational Bitcoin hodler as well as, uh, you know, mega corporations. And uh, I I'm stealing Brandon's term, uh, Pierre pressure, but uh, I, I noticed, I think after uh, after Square purchased their 50 million, Pierre was out there asking, uh, "Hey, when when is J.P. Morgan gonna gonna buy some Bitcoin? When is Citibank gonna buy some Bitcoin?" So uh, it, you know, it's all just a matter of time. I mean, it as it continues to survive and grow and get stronger, it the risk um, reduces, and then you have these companies that are already taking steps. Um, clearing the way for people to make those investments. At some point in time, I think it becomes irresponsible to hold 0% Bitcoin. All right, Brandon, we're gonna ask you multiple questions here. You can comment on what you think the proper percentage is, but I also wanna note what was uh, talked about on my show yesterday by a commenter. Uh, none of these companies, they're not diversifying into other cryptocurrencies. There's no diversification for the sake of diversification here. They're just getting Bitcoin. So far, and I, I think uh, I, th I think we'll see that trend continue. But he here in the uh, here in the space of uh, regular dudes, everyone's got to have a crypto portfolio. I, I I really just 
like that word because my crypto crypto portfolio is just Bitcoin. And it appears these big companies, their crypto portfolios are just Bitcoin also. Uh, so, Brandy, do, do you ever see these companies diversifying into other cryptos? Uh, uh, and uh, what's your take on a percentage uh, uh, that, that a company should uh, invest into Bitcoin? Yeah, so I think the hardest is the first basis point from a treasury perspective. So I completely agree with Phil. Any amount is a, a big deal. Um, we know how this stuff works. It takes a while to learn. They have a lot of shareholders to get on board here. And so just dipping your toes in will create the, the ripple that we need. Um, in terms of will they diversify into other coins besides Bitcoin? Um, there's a chance that happens, but I think that would be a mistake. Um, we know that money is a network technology. It converges to one. They are substitute goods. And so there's not really any point. You don't gain any diversification benefits by owning things other than Bitcoin because they all are correlated to Bitcoin. And so it doesn't make financial sense. It's a lot more risky. It's a lot more expensive to store. Um, if they think holding Bitcoin is going to bring some heat, imagine something that they never heard of that no one on the planet can even describe what it is. Um, that's not going to work out so well for them. So I don't see that anytime soon, if ever. Um, one thing I had to bring up with regard to the Bitcoin price, I have a slightly different take here. I think in the in the short term, Bitcoin's experiencing mostly headwinds. And over the long term, I'm as bullish as I've ever been converting as much fiat as I can to Bitcoin every month. And so is everyone else I know. However, there are some things in the short term that are headwinds. Bitcoin has been correlated to the equities market, so it's acting like a risk asset. And um, fear of Biden getting into the office would push down equities markets. Bitcoin will get pushed down with that as well. BitMEX is taken down. That's a huge amount of liquidity. A lot of people played there. Um, ultimately, I think that's a long term good thing. But in the short term, that should push the price down. Um, and I know we're going to talk about Hedgeye CEO, but in his cutesy little quad four metric, he talks about the GDP decelerating at the same time as inflation decelerating. And I think that's true. I think that's exactly what we're experiencing right now. And so under those conditions, all risk assets will be pushed down just a little bit. And so in the face of all that, the Bitcoin bulls are defending 10K. And I find that to be extremely bullish. And so whenever we're ready to let this thing rip, I think it's going to really soar. All right. I like I like that, Kanye. You, you're, you're a realist there. And uh, yeah, you're, you're very realistic to say that. Uh, well, I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth here, but uh, you're implying it. None of these uh, corporations, uh, I don't see them buying uh, DeFi tokens. Uh, I don't see that happening anytime soon for all you uh, DeFi freaks. But hey, we're not talking. I don't think there's any time to even talk about DeFi today. It's it hasn't had a good week, but uh, you, you never know for those dudes out there. But Bitcoin's the next Bitcoin. I, I want to. Uh, I didn't get to ask you about. Uh, you know, we're, huge entities like corporations are buying Bitcoin, but even bigger entities like countries. So when do you see that uh, starting, uh, or ha have the countries started buying already, Brandon? Um, I don't have any special insight here. I would. I would agree with general sentiment that smaller nations who are. Um, sort of under the thumb or the boot heel of the American dollar hegemony. Um, I think those type of nations have the incentive to do so. We see that with Venezuela, Iran. Um, where's Borat from Kazakhstan? They have a lot of hash power. And so you add all this up and it's pretty clear where the trend is. I don't think uh, buddies with the U.S. government are going to take a risk here because they're in pretty good position. Um, but yeah, I think we'll see the small nations fall. And I think that 
Um, as soon as we see a tier one or tier two nation, something that uh, the average person would say, wow, to, um, I think that's when the floodgates open. And I don't know if we're there yet. I think the dollar is going to spiral. And I think we're going to see the next decade sort of um, break down the current order and we're going to rebuild again. And during that period, we'll start to see a lot more nation, state, nation states uh, buy some Bitcoin. Dudes, pound that like button for Borat getting mentioned on this show. That's why you know I have the best freaking guest on in the space here. The most unique beast when you hear Borat mentioned in a uh, Bitcoin-related uh, uh, comment there. So, <laughs> oh my. All right, dudes, uh, John and Phil, do you have anything else to say about this uh, topic before we move on? Uh, you know, any any Borat comments or, or anything else uh, with uh, Jack Dorsey? Yeah, I think um, it's my suspicion that many countries are accumulating Bitcoin already. Um, they're not going to be public about it. Uh, you know, we know that uh, the U.S. government has sold Bitcoin, um, the seized Bitcoin that they have. Um, I imagine that they haven't sold all of the Bitcoin that they've seized. So uh, I'm not sure if they're necessarily buying Bitcoin, but we know that they have some Bitcoin. Um, and uh, I think that's probably consistent with many countries around the world. They're not going to go out and be public about it because Bitcoin directly competes with their currency. But, uh, you know, the smartest guys in the room right now are, are taking a look at Bitcoin and figuring out how to how to get some exposure to it. So I imagine that some countries are doing that as well. Everyone yeah. out, everyone out there, don't let the country beat you to the punch. Sorry, I interrupted someone. There. No, I would just add to that that I think, um, just like all of us, the the era there's so much good information out there now that the era of everyone having to kind of be evangelical about this and like the hardcore Bitcoiners being out there destroying their opsec just to 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 get this into the public consciousness is coming to an end. So I think whether the corporates may be a bit different because they may stand to benefit from a you know from an announcement like this, but especially in the case of nation states, I think. They, they understand the value of OPSEC and they will accumulate this on the sly and only reveal it when they have to, you know, when it comes time where they, for whatever reason, have to signal that they've done this. Otherwise, they're, they're, if they're able to accumulate privately, which I presume they are, uh, they will do so. And, um, you know, they'll just be stacking their sats and, and being quiet about it because I think we're all entering this era where there's probably going to be more repercussions for being public about this stuff. And I'm not necessarily saying like there's a big uh, clampdown coming soon, but um, you know, more so just because there's so much good information and resources out there about this stuff. You know, you meant you heard sailor refer to uh, all the resources that he consulted to come to his, you know, he was orange pilled so, you know, hard and fast that that's why he made the move that he did. And he, he was orange pilled that way because of the writing from, on chain and Parker Lewis and because of a bunch of the great podcasts out there. And so that's all there now for people to consume. And uh, I think, you know, I just think they're going to be able to consult that and stack quietly. And that's probably going to be the best move moving forward. All right. Let us, uh, let's go back to, to Brandon here. We're, we're talking about governments a little bit there at the very end. I'm going to ask you about the uh, United States attorney general, department of justice, police's cryptocurrency enforcement work. Uh, uh, what, what's your take? Explain this to us, uh, to Brandon. What's your take on this and what's this all about? Yeah, there's a bunch of things I sort of highlighted here that I found to be interesting. But from a high level, what it feels like is um, they understand more than we think they do. 
Um, they're putting out some information that indicates that. And it's sort of like, hey, this technology, technology is mostly good, but we got to protect you from the bad guys. And so to me, that's just a giant uh, nanny state blanket being put over the people. Um, the one quote that I want to pull out to emphasize that is they say, and I quote, for cryptocurrency to realize its truly transformative potential, it's imperative that these risks be addressed. And so on paper that, you know, you could say that sounds kind of nice, you know, it's truly transformative, whatever. Um, but to me, what that means to ensure the, the illegality stuff that doesn't happen, that means they can do whatever they want. And so this is more of the same from my perspective there. Um, I don't think it's a good thing. I think that they're going to enforce KYC as far as they possibly can. Um, trying to think what else is super important. Like, I, I think, you know, we can talk about the privacy coins and there's a lot of stuff there. I don't want to highlight all the good stuff, but my most important point here is that we're currently living in a hyper globalized world and all the countries that are buddies with the government, with the U S they share information. We know this. And so I don't really like that. That's not good for everyone. And I, I foresee a period of isolationist isolationism coming around the globe. Um, it's already starting to happen. I would say peak globalization was probably five, 10 years ago. And so I hope that we see manufacturing come back to the US. I hope we uh, take our aircraft carriers back to our seas and just go through a period of isolationism. And I think that'll be good for America, it'll be good for the globe, and it'll also be good for uh, cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, et cetera, because what we don't want is all the nation states on the same team against the people. We want them to be competitive in the same way that we want private industry to be competitive with the government and not buddied up. Um, and so I'm optimistic long-term that if we go to a period of isolationism, Bitcoin will be in a much better position. And I think that the writing's on the wall there. How long does it take? I have no idea, um, but that's what I'm optimistic about. Yeah, I, I get the, I always get the nanny state feel from huh, whenever the government tries to help us uh, with cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. But yet they said that the Department of Justice states it has jurisdiction over foreign crypto companies that touch U.S. servers. So anywhere in the world you are, if you're dealing with cryptocurrency, the United States government must protect its citizens. So uh, if, you, if you do something the government, uh, the United States government doesn't like and you're in Eastern Europe and you somehow dealt with an American citizen, uh, be on the lookout. Now, I do I want to go back to the privacy coin stuff in a second, but we, we, I, I, let's go to Phil real quick uh, with the basic stuff uh, here. What, what was your take on, on the report? It was somewhat expected to me. I mean, I think this is, uh, it was, I think Matt O'Dell or Marty said, you know, then they fight you. Um, so I think that that this type of uh, report is, is kind of to be expected. What I will say is, um, you know, if you have obtained your Bitcoin, uh, legally or even uh, you know without going through the sort of KYC on ramps as long as you're holding your private keys uh, you, you have unilateral control over your Bitcoin so even if it is uh, designated eventually as illegal in some jurisdiction or another if you've taken control of your private keys uh, it still requires authentication and authorization from you to move the Bitcoin um, so I think what I recommend is kind of what I uh, traditionally recommend, which is if you're using an exchange, withdraw your Bitcoin into your control. Um, if you're comfortable using coin mixing services, 
I think it's it's an interesting way to uh, break up the history of your UTXOs. I wouldn't rely on them 100% to be totally anonymous. Um, but I think the most powerful thing that we can be doing as Bitcoiners right now is taking control of private keys. All right. Uh, always control your private key. If it's not, you know, not your keys, not your coin. Uh, people learn that the hard way, uh, especially when the government goes shutting down uh, certain exchanges where you think your uh, Bitcoin is safe. All right, John, you're Canadian. What's what's your take on on this? Um, it's like I don't. I think that this cre creeping KYC and this creeping regulatory um, <clears throat> enforcement is again to be expected. It's not like we thought we would get away without stuff like this, and I think this is just the beginning. <clears throat> Excuse me, but um, I, I think what we're gonna, you know, on the one hand, I feel like the magnitude of the the oppression in one area just increases the value of its count, its kind of antithesis in another. Now, whether that's from a state to state basis or country to country, like I think this is ultimately how this plays out, and I, I think the social pressure that comes on Bitcoin is going to probably exacerbate the the impetus for regulatory change because you know if we keep seeing this sort of divide and imbalances that we see in the economy and socially then you know bitcoiners will probably be vilified in the not too distant future if things play out the way we always talk about them on twitter so um, i think all you can do right now is best practices as you guys all just mentioned make sure you're you're doing best practices in terms of you know basically securing and managing your keys um, and if you do that, then you're in a position to adapt to whatever comes down the pike. And that's all you can do. I mean, what, what, what else can you do? So and Bitcoin bestows the ultimate optionality. And I know we're all in different stages of our lives and different kind of um, on the scale of kind of rootedness where we are with families and homes and what have you. But, um, you know, we're playing a, a this is a pretty this is a pretty big game. Uh, a foot here and it's going to play out over decades and if we're really committed to seeing it through um you know we need to be have all options on the table and i just think um as as much as we don't want to be pushed out of our cities states countries whatever um if 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 the regulatory environment becomes so onerous at some point that we have to be then bitcoin gives us the optionality to do that and i think there will be jurisdictions that will provide that will be more accommodating for people that want to do so. But that being said, I think the real race is, you know, how fast can we get this into as many hands as possible of decision makers and other influential people? I mean, if, if, if half of Congress and, you know, a ton of corporate treasuries and a ton of private individuals uh, own this stuff, I think it's going to be really hard to wind back the clock or put any sort of, you know, really restrictive regulations on top of it. So, that's that's kind of the part of the value of the evangelical people like all of us uh, at this point is kind of making sure that it it gets distributed as quickly as possible because that kind of actually may be relevant senators aren't going to make something illegal that they already hold most likely um but i i, I and i want to say you're absolutely right if your jurisdiction gets intolerable you can't tolerate it anymore be in motion. I mean, if you have if you have kids and a wife, it's hard to you know 
you have various things tying you down. There are many attack vectors, but lots of people can just leave their jurisdiction with their Bitcoin and start anew. That is the cool thing uh, about one of the cool things about Bitcoin uh, for those that can be in motion like that. Now, I, I do want to go back to Brandon and the specifics of the report. And uh, what, what I thought was interesting, you bring up privacy coins, the, the report the DOJ knows about privacy coins. The DOJ knows about uh, DeFi, okay? These are the scapegoats slash targets, uh, which gives me the and, – and then on, on, in the other side of the United States government, we, we know that uh, they're going to allow banks to hold Bitcoin now. So I, I think the, there's a, there's, there are targets and scapegoats out there in cryptocurrency – where the government can say, "Hey, look, we're doing, we're 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 dealing with all the nasty people with the privacy coins and the and the DeFi scams and Bitcoin. They don't have to really even deal with Bitcoin." So, uh, Brandon, what what was your take uh, on uh, the privacy coin mention? And uh, it, it, does it to me? It seems like if the report is bad, it's probably bad for coins and uh, entities other than Bitcoin. But uh, take it away, Brand. Yeah, I think that last point you made is absolutely correct. I view cryptocurrencies outside of Bitcoin, any of the enterprise blockchain, any of this cutesy stuff. Those are all just shields for Bitcoin. They're distractions. They're, they're just a red herring that ties up resources. And I think that's the most important thing that those things can serve. They are nobly serving Bitcoin and it's ironic that they don't know it. Um, and so I find that poetic justice to be really nice. And a quote that Bitcoin sign guy always says that always stuck with me is that um, the people on the front lines trying to promote Bitcoin, making it more normalized, trying to create an intransigent minority, et cetera, et cetera. We're all just providing cover fire so Bitcoin can get through the door. And that's just a, fa a fantastic quote, right? We have to raise this thing up to the point where it can no longer be stopped. And are we at that point? Probably not. But it feels like we're getting really close and it feels like momentum's picking up. And on for Bitcoin's benefit, the world's in a pretty chaotic place. And I can't imagine public sentiment switching to this Internet money when we have all these other super important things to deal with. And so I feel optimistic we've got a smoke screen for quite a while yet. Um, to go back to the report, I'll bring out some specifics that I thought were important. Um, they did call out DeFi and they said, hey, it's just like ICOs. Um, complicated scams that are expensive to enforce, but we'll do it anyways. And so I think the egregious DeFi ones, the low-hanging fruit, they'll sweep out like usual, scare up, scare the rest of the people. Um, interestingly, for privacy coins, they said using privacy coins is considered high risk and in indicative of potential criminal activity. And I don't really like that narrative. The fact that you want to keep your financial history private, that means you're probably a criminal, but not surprising from the people who decided to say that. And related, they said, if we seize uh, privacy coins, they pull out Monero, et cetera, they're not going to liquidate them. They're not going to sell them back into the market because those same privacy coins might be used for criminal activity in the future. And so imagine... And I saw this on uh, someone summarized the report and he was saying, imagine the U.S. having a warehouse of seized dollars that they don't want to put back into the market. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, again, with the nanny state. What do you think they'll do with that? I, mean, I mentioned this on yesterday's show, that exact quote. 
are they going to burn them? This will be good for Monero if they actually confiscate Monero and then don't and then they don't sell it. They just burn it. I mean, that's it's kind of funny. I thought the, I thought the whole thing was hilarious. But uh, uh, continue. I mean, I, I mean, what do you, what do you do? You think they they're really serious about that? They'll keep the Monero they seize. That's unbelievable. I think that was an ideological stance that they're going to change their mind on in the future. Um, there's really no logic to back that up. Like, do you seize drug money dollars? No, that goes right into the budget of our government. They're not going to burn the dollars. They're not going to burn the Monero. Um, that makes no sense to me. They also brought up the peer-to-peer -peer exchanges, the BIS, the HODL HODLs, et cetera. And they consider them money services businesses. And that means that they need to apply with all the AML laws, KYC, et cetera. And I don't think that's a good thing. Like we would, we do want the ability to access KYC free Bitcoin, especially for the people who really need it. Um, and so again, if those exchanges get too big, they're probably gonna be targeted. And I'm not proficient enough to understand if that's possible or what the implications are, but that's not a good thing that they're being targeted. Yeah, uh, I, I I have no problem with those uh, little Eastern European exchanges out there. United States should just leave them alone or leave, let them do what they're gonna do. No KYC, I'm a fan of, all right. Uh, rest of the panel, uh, Brandon really gave a good summary there. Do you guys have any comments on the many topics that he brought up there? Yeah, what I'll just say is this is going to be a very interesting test of uh, decentralization for uh, DeFi and for those privacy coins that claim to be super anonymous and private. All right. I hope you guys are right, because if you're wrong, you're going to be in some pretty uh, deep water. Yes. Uh, and I love the term Bitcoin shield. The altcoins and all the nonsense out there serves as a shield uh, for, for Bitcoin. And uh, yeah, it's easy. You're going to learn the difference between decentralized and centralized. The, the, the ones they pick off easy are the things that are centralized, the things that they, where they can find the founder and, and the throw him in jail and you know, shut down the office. You'll I just see. don't. Yeah, I don't see these guys falling for uh, the marketing tactics. Um, so they will be able to look right past the marketing tactics and uh, figure out if it's really decentralized or not. And for, I think, all of them, um, they're pretty centralized. Yeah, to say the least. John, any closing thoughts on this, uh, the government and privacy coins, et cetera? Well, just one, and, and this might take us off onto a tangent you don't want to go down, but do you think it's... it's have, is it still on the table that we that a like a constitutional argument is at some point made about Bitcoin being you know speech rather than quote unquote money, you know because I, I kind of think that if these regulations become onerous enough, somebody will try to make that case. Now we don't exist in the greatest era to really uphold many elements of the Constitution. They seem easily swept aside these days. So uh, maybe it's uh, it's a waste of time to do so, but. You know, do, do you guys think that that is ever something that helps preserve, uh, you know, or, or keep the regular regulators away from Bitcoin? Dude, you said the word constitution. And what I was going to say is, you think people care about the constitution in the United States today? Do you see what's going on? I mean, it's, it's I a know. legitimate. We have smart people, lawyers who can make legitimate constitutional arguments. Who, Pelosi cares about the Constitution. <laughs> I mean, no one. It's. A, I mean, I, I wish. I, I, I wish we were still living in that civilized era that we were living in, like uh, uh, four years ago or whatever. But uh, I, you could get lawyers to make those arguments. I'm sure, but it's it's unfortunate. We've already 
<laughs> we've gone we've gone far away from constitutional arguments. It seems. I know. Uh, it's a shame. Do you do you guys have any uh any any thoughts on that? What John said. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh to to make a Bitcoin analogy. I feel like the Constitution, uh, you know, it's it's very difficult to run a full Constitution node uh, at home on your computer. So we have this great white paper, um, and then we're now seeing the result of when you can't run the numbers on that white paper, when individuals can't run the numbers. So what makes me really optimistic about Bitcoin is that if you're running your own full node at home on your computer, you know, you can tell if somebody is breaking the rules and you can... Uh, boot them off of the network. Uh, the Constitution, I think, is an amazing document, and it was uh, extremely disruptive at the time that it was, um, you know, released. And unfortunately, it didn't solve the problem of human nature and and centralizing power over time. I'm hoping that Bitcoin does, though. Okay, uh, uh, Brandon. I don't know if you even heard everything we're talking about. Uh... Because <laughs> you got kicked off there for a second. Do you have any uh, uh, thoughts on on that, or do you know we're even you know constitution or anything like that? I caught the back end. I don't have anything important to say to that one. All right, all right. Let us let's go uh, on to a guy. Well, we're we're living in an era where you know <laughs> constitutions, and I I respect the constitution. Great great document. Great love it. Powerful. Uh, but we, we've got a guy, and so we've got SJWs out there. We've got uh, postmodernists out there. Nothing is true. There is no, there are no rules anymore. Uh, corporations are evil. And we got a guy at a corporation, uh, Coinbase, who he's not getting into this political nonsense anymore. Brian Armstrong uh, made the proclamation that if you, if you're going to be political, uh, that you, you, they're not political at Coinbase, and he'll pay you to leave. And apparently 5% of the people uh, left Coinbase. So he put his mo money where his mouth was, they, and they, they had their beliefs, and they left. So I kind of like that. I, I, you know, let, let, let everybody get along. I mean, we so many distractions out there today. I really I think it's terrible that corporate culture has become so SJW. Now, corporations can do what they want to do, but I'd like to see a corporation like this that is a cryptocurrency corporation go in that direction. So uh, we'll start with Brandon. What, what, what are your thoughts on the overall Brian Armstrong uh, and uh, pol politics Coinbase story? Yeah, there's a lot to dispute Coinbase on. Um, I don't think they necessarily align with Bitcoin's long-term mission, but I don't fault them for that. They, um, they're a business. They want to make money and making money means shit coins in this industry. So they're following their mandate. That's fine. Um, they've done a lot of good for Bitcoin, but I don't see them as a long-term ally. Um, but all that being said, we got to give Coinbase credit here. I think that this is the right move. I think that it's an important stance that they made. What's shocking to me and what's telling of the times is that it was a controversy to start with. And I mean, I maybe I'm insulated because I'm in Bitcoin land, but you know, in the Swan office, virtual office, this type of thing would never be a problem. And I, you know, I, again, just shocked that that's where we are. It's very clear that that's where we are, but um, got to give Coinbase props on this one. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, Phil? I think this is a pretty sensitive topic uh, in today's day and age. What I what I will say is that it's, it's pretty, uh, it's great that the five percent of people who disagreed with it were able to go on and, and find another uh, company to work with. Right? They have that freedom. They have the ability to say, "Nope, I don't support 
the statement or the mission of the company that I work for, I'm going to leave and, and go find a different company. So all power to those people. I think, you know, Brian's position is kind of an impossible situation. It's lose-lose. You're never going to please everybody all the time. And I think uh, in, in today's day and age, you know, everybody and everything is becoming more and more politicized. So um, I, I'll kind of echo uh, Brandon's sentiment. I, I don't know if uh, Coinbase overall is is necessarily aligned with uh, Bitcoin's long-term trajectory. I think they could probably uh, make a few changes to to address that. But um, I do have to give Brian props where, where props are due in that he put out a statement in an impossible situation and 95% of his company thought it was an acceptable statement. And the 5% of people who felt that they uh, couldn't uh, you know, stand for, for whatever Coinbase's mission was uh, have gone on to find another, another job. And I think that that's um, really the best possible outcome in an impossible situation. Very good summary there. John. Yeah, I mean, pretty much what the guys have already said. I got a lot of criticism for Coinbase and Brian, but um, I think this was the right move. I'd love to see more of it, but um, I think like the, both of the guys have just said, I mean, we are in this hyper-politicized time. I, I bring up the book a lot, but it's very reminiscent of the the, the passage or the chapter in The Sovereign Individual where they, they detail what it was like living uh, in medieval Europe. I can't remember the period, but when the, the church was so intrusive into every aspect of your life and they it, it exacted their taxes and it's just like everything was connected back to the church and i think um it makes no wonder that this is the way things are so i don't think brian's move is going to turn the tide i think it was the right move but i think you know money is that as the money fails it's its role money is governance right money coordinates behavior and as it breaks down more of that governance has to be pushed up into the social layer. And naturally, when that social layer has more uh, behavior that it has to coordinate, it's going to be more, there's going to be more opportunity for contentiousness. And that's just going to be, that's going to mean that these conversations and these issues are more important, they're more top of mind, they're more relevant in even more things, you know, corporations and, you know, like we've been saying, everything we do. So I don't think, and that's just the, the trend that we're in right now. And I don't think we're on the downslope of it yet. I think we would all agree that um, because Bitcoin is such a better form of money, that it'll be such a better form of governance and coordination of behavior and activity. And that will mean that that trend will reverse when, as we start to use more Bitcoin, uh, as Bitcoin is, is more adopted and distributed and used in commerce and, and as money around the world. Uh, but I think it gets a little bit more tangly before it gets better. All right. Well, we're talking about CEOs making decisions, making statements. Let's talk about this crypto noise from earlier this week. And uh, I'll let this be an open. Anyone can chime in here on this guy because I don't care too much about him. But why Hedgeye CEO sold his Bitcoin? So, uh, yeah, there was on Twitter. He made a big announcement. He was proud that he sold his Bitcoin. Uh, who, who wants to comment on this? anyone any anyone out there Come well I, i'll just say he's a trader and so he's going to trade every asset i mean i'm not a trader i'm a hodler and i buy bitcoin and i keep it secure and i never ever sell it and that's my approach and I, so i you know you weather the ups and downs of course everyone's been enticed to trade at some point but you know dude is a professional trader and it, i don't think it would be 
I don't think he he didn't say he wouldn't buy it back. So I guess he thinks there's going to be a you know an opportunity for a trade and fair play. Yeah. 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 He said he'd be willing to buy it back again. So I mean, it just for everyone out there, you know, the the juggling of the Bitcoin. I don't think it, it ever works too well. I'm I'm a strong hander, uh, and I don't want to put this guy on a pedestal or anything. But he got a lot of it. It, it made some news at the beginning of the week, so I thought I would throw it out there. Uh, it, also, it's great <laughs> to make fun of weak hands. I mean, come on, we got to do that. This is why we're on Twitter in the first place. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think uh, I think people like him because you know he's selling Sats to people like me at uh, eleven thousand dollars, twelve years into uh, Bitcoin's lifespan, and and so you know we need people like him. We need people uh, to make bad decisions and sell their Bitcoin. Um, so I, I thank him for his service, and yeah, it's. You know, making fun of people's weak hands is is just great because we're all about strong hands here. Strong hand, baby. All right, Brandon, I don't know if you have anything to say about that, but you, you actually have a very interesting – if you do, you can say something. But you've got a very interesting story uh, out of the Democratic Republic of Congo. That's an old story, but you, since I brought it up to you or since you tweeted about it, uh, you, you've researched it more. It's important to, to know French and able to in order to understand this story also. So uh, I don't know if you have anything to comment about the CEO or do you just want to talk yep. about the Congo thing? Yeah, I'll touch on Hedgeye first. So I think it's funny that I think this is probably his first time bumping into Bitcoin Twitter because he made all the he went on this emotional rant and he was like, well, I thought Bitcoin people ran the numbers. They're all emotional, whatever. And so I think what's interesting here is the, the cybernetic swarm of Bitcoin people on Twitter. Um, sailor quote we do swarm anyone who says anything about bitcoin you know if you're a famous person you tweet bitcoin you're going to get ten thousand followers that day and <laughs> we're all going to retweet it if you say something bad about bitcoin we're going to relentlessly schoolyard bully you with some absolutely hilarious memes and if you can't take a joke you're going to be offended and you're going to be like all oh, the bitcoin people are mean and i don't really know if that's good or bad but it's absolutely true and you see guys like Peter Schiff just farming us for engagement. Yeah. Um, he's irrelevant. And then he chirps about Bitcoin and all of a sudden he's relevant. I bet his business has been booming since he's been chirping about Bitcoin. And so whatever we want to call, it's kind of like the Streisand effect, but we should probably rename it to like the Nakamoto effect or something like that. But it's real and it's going to continue. And so people who want engagement are going to take advantage of this and that's going to work in Bitcoin's favor. So I just think that's pretty funny, number one. Number two, um, another person who works at Hedgeye is Neil Howe, who wrote a book called The Fourth Turning, which is essentially looking at demographic cycles that play out through history. Um, the thesis is essentially every 80 to 100 years, the young people um, tear down all the old institutions, kind of as a, as a species, we outgrew the institutions and we rebuild. And I'm writing an article right now about Bitcoin through the lens of this thesis. And again, the author works for Hedgeye. And so far, he's been pretty lukewarm on Bitcoin. I've been tagging him on Twitter. I've been emailing him. He doesn't respond. And so, uh, Neil, if you're listening, you're going to see an article come out in the next month or so. And I'd love your comments. Um, preferably, I love your comments before I publish. Just check your inbox. It's sitting there. It's waiting for you. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll flip your opinion on Bitcoin after done reading. Um, so I'll just pause on that before we get into DRC, uh, unless you want me to jump right into that. Great, uh, great description of what Peter Schiff does. He's farming pointers, guys. Don't don't be a cow for 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 Peter. So many people, so many people fall for it. Uh, no, yeah. Before we get to DRC, did you guys have anything 
Uh, I didn't know you would have so much to say about that, Brandon. Very good. Uh, anything else to add, guys? All right, cool, cool. Brandon, take it away with this DRC stuff, man. I, I'm I'm really uh, fascinated by it. Yeah, so uh, essentially I heard about this through a Bitcoiner named Eves. Um, I, I forgot exactly what his last name is, but he lives in Switzerland, speaks French. And I had just an impromptu meetup talking about Bitcoin and biology and he brought it up. And so essentially what the story is, is there's a national park in the DRC, Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, and this park is called Virunga. It's one of the most biodiverse places in Africa. And it's a really important place for the country. It's rich in natural resources. Four million people live nearby. And the country is very poor. You know, they live on less than $2 a day. And so essentially what they did was they created a coalition of private and public people to create a task force to try to leverage this natural resource in order to help the people. And so they're trying to produce energy assets. Um, essentially, they're putting in hydroelectric dams to prevent the people from deforestation because the people there deforest the land to create coal to cook their food. So people are just trying to survive. And if you're trying to survive, conserving the environment is not of your priority, rightfully so. And so they can save the natural environment by providing economic benefit to the region. And so they are going to they already produce these dams. There's like 100 megawatts worth of power being produced. And up until this point, there's there's not anywhere near enough demand to recoup that investment cost. And so what they're doing is they're starting to mine Bitcoin in the national park to subsidize that energy asset, which is fantastic. It also saves the environment because it prevents deforestation. It provides economic relief. They're turning these energy assets into banks where the local people can somehow take loans. I don't understand it exactly. Um, it's all translated from French, but they're taking loans and then they're repaying the interest with increased energy costs in the future. And so it's a pretty cool story. It actually goes really deep. And yeah, I mean, I could go on for a while on this, but uh, the, the big question, why isn't anyone talking about this? This is from the summer, actually, where, when this story originated. Is it because it's in French? <laughs> it's a good question. I'm not sure why it hasn't broke news. Um, it was hard to find good information. And I have some correspondence with people involved here that um, they make it sound like it's a really touchy subject. And so there's a lot of violence in the region as people uh, people are trying to survive. So they're taking advantage of natural resources. So my guess is it's sort of a, a war zone and they don't want to have um, Bitcoin available. They don't want to draw attention to it. And so that's my guess. Um, and so I don't know how hard we want to pump this narrative, but it looks really good for Bitcoin. It's economic development. It's uh, it's so many different things. And so I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. And yeah, I, I encourage people to look more into it. You can DM me on Twitter if you want the information I have. I'll share it with you. Oh, dude, it's awesome. I mean, you, you did some research into this. You've got we've got unique beast information here. Insider information, dudes. You only hear this stuff on, on this very show. It is it's, it's odd, you know, a national park and, and Bitcoin. It's, it's, it's a crazy combination, but uh, uh, good luck to them. And I and I know it is a, a very, I, I've known of people that have dealings down there. It's, it's dangerous. It's, 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 the, it's wild out there. So uh, this is uh, one of the, re Bitcoin, uh, everyone's always said, you know, what will Bitcoin do in these developing uh, nations? Well, here, they got creative over there. All right. So clearly we're, we've gotten uh, close to the end of the show here. I want everybody to uh pound that like button first of all but i want the dudes on on the panel to tell us uh what, what they're up to and just any news that was left off 
Uh, we'll, we'll start with Phil. You always have something to say about what you're doing down there in Austin with Unchained. We've had uh, quite an exciting month at Unchained Capital. So a couple weeks ago, we launched our advanced business accounts, uh, which gives you the business logic that you need to run a company while uh, building it on top of collaborative multi-sig. So your if, if you're a, you know the uh, CEO of a company and your company is interested in uh, allocating some Bitcoin, uh, some resources to Bitcoin, um, check out our advanced business accounts and we can actually help you and your company control your own private keys. Um, so that was a very, very big release for us. Um, up next week, actually, uh, we're launching cold card support. So we have a lot of uh, Bitcoiners out there that I know that are a huge fan of uh, cold card. Uh, we've, we've taken quite a while to develop a, a pretty unique integration that I think you guys are going to totally love. Um, and right now we have a promo as well where if you set up your uh, vault profile at Unchained Capital, uh, you, you can get a discount code for 10% off of a cold card. So if you've been waiting to uh, test out multi-signature with us, uh, now is a really good time. You can get a cold card ordered and get 10% off. Um, if you want help uh, getting set up with multi-sig, we have our vault concierge service uh, where we'll walk you through everything. And then at the end of building your vault, we'll put a thousand bucks of Bitcoin into it. Um, so we're, we're working on some big things at Unchained, uh, excited about this month's and last month's releases. And uh, we have some exciting releases coming up in the future. So check us out. Dude, you are in motion. You can check out all three of these dudes, people. Link, click on their Twitters, link to below. Follow them, seriously, good stuff. That's how you learn. You're not an a servant of the algorithm. You, you don't watch what Twitter tells you to watch. You check out on your own, these guys. All right, John, what, what, what do you have to say here? News, anything that was forgotten? What, what, what are you up to? What's going on? Um, no, I think, I think we covered a lot of good news. Um, in Bitcoin land, I'm just still really enjoying playing around with the medium that is podcasts and videos and stuff on YouTube. Uh, I love talking to all sorts of Bitcoiners, whether they be, you know, guys that kind of the head of the industry, quote unquote, or people that, you know, quote unquote, normal Bitcoiners. In fact, Brandon, I uh, releasing today a chat with Tyler Campbell, who I believe is a uh, Minneapolis Bitcoiner. Uh, great guy. And it's just it's such a pleasure to connect with these people. So um, loving doing that. And actually, I had a question for you, Phil. Um, the, the business, you know, what you guys just released. That's like what jurisdictionally, you know, in terms of clients is that can serve not only that can serve international clients, right? Correct. Yeah. So we for vaults, we can um, serve clients in all of the countries except for the, you know, the OPAC list countries. Uh, you do have to go through the sort of um, KYC onboarding for your business. Um, but as long as you get through the onboarding, Clients from any country are welcome to run an advanced business account through us, which I think is really fantastic because it's like, as a company, you get to hold your own keys, you know, not your CFO's keys, not your company's Bitcoin. Um, yeah. And then we provide monthly statements and reports and transaction history right. and then different user types as well. Yeah, I just wanted to check that because that was a question that I got about the product two or three days ago. So, uh, you know, I guess some Canadian companies might be knocking on your door soon. Yeah, hit us up, definitely. Reach out to me on Twitter or uh, schedule time with one of our team members on our website. Sweet. I love it. People are connecting here. Knock, knock, knock on heaven's door. All right, we'll, we'll conclude with Brandon. Any news? What are you up to? You made a great debut, man. You, you rock it, dude. 
Hey, thanks, Adam. Uh, first off, great hanging with you guys. Uh, John is one of my favorite interviewers in the space. We've recorded a few conversations together. I look forward to doing that over the campfire with or without a microphone sometime. Um, and Phil and the Unchained guys, uh, a group that I hold in the highest regard in the Bitcoin community. So super cool to be with you guys. Always an honor. And Adam, first time with you. Uh, I enjoyed the conversation. I enjoyed the narrative here. So thanks for having me on. Um, in terms of a couple quick shills, I work at Swan. We just have an easy platform to automatic dollar cost average. So you just connect your bank account, set your plan, 50 bucks a week or 100 bucks a month or whatever you want to do. And then we auto pull from your bank account and then you can auto withdraw into cold storage if you choose. And so, yeah, just set it up once and be done. Um, we're going fast. It's been fun uh, working there. And one episode we have coming up on our podcast, Swan Signal Live next Tuesday. We have the Giga Chad uh, Michael Saylor coming on and he's going to be on with Danielle DiMartino Booth, who's um, not as warm to Bitcoin. So we'll see how that conversation goes. But Michael's got some charisma. So we'll see. Um, definitely check that one out. And if you want to get started with Swan, you can go to swanbitcoin.com slash quitum, my last name, and that'll give you $10 worth of free Bitcoin if you sign. All right. Continue your thought there. Yeah, just to wrap up, if, if any, any of this was interesting and you want to chat, uh, I write about Bitcoin and biology uh, mostly, and I've written a bunch about that. And I also have an article coming up on the fourth turning in Bitcoin. So if you've read that book, those ideas are interested. I'm looking for editors. I'm looking for people to bounce ideas off. I'm trying to get that out this month. So hit me up on Twitter. Come say hello. All right. It was a great show, everyone. You know you get this every single Friday. Remember to subscribe to the channel. You get shows every day uh, beyond Bitcoin, all, all sorts of exciting stuff over here. Um, I'm Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Pound that like button. Shabbat Shalom. Everybody have a good Simchat Torah this weekend. I know I will. Uh, see you guys later. Thank you, everyone out there. Retweet it. Follow these guys. Thanks, guys. See ya. Appreciate see it. Ya.